When believers start proclaiming that the second coming of Jesus is near, the world skeptically asks, how can we know this? Well, first of all, we're all eyewitnesses of the many general signs that Jesus described as the beginning of the birth pangs of the end of the age. Wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, tsunamis, and so forth. But we also have the most amazing sign in our generation, the rebirth of the biblical nation of Israel, just as God promised long ago. And we also have the further sign of the Jewish nation reclaiming their ancient capital of Jerusalem, just as Jesus predicted in Luke 21:24, despite centuries of domination and occupation by Gentile nations. And on top of all of these signs, we've been watching many preparations for events that will transpire during the seven-year tribulation period that's prophesied in Daniel 9:27, when the temple of God will be rebuilt but desecrated by the Antichrist. These signposts are largely ignored or unnoticed by the world, but they're not lost on evangelical Bible believers. We're paying close attention to prophetic events unfolding, such as preparations of all the holy furnishings that will be quickly assembled inside a third Jewish temple. Today, among other things, we're going to examine an amazing spiritual sign the revival of an ancient biblical symbol, the temple showbread. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, which shines brighter and brighter till the full light of day. And all of these signs are becoming clearer, pointing to the perfect day when we will see the Lord coming in the clouds. We're looking for King Messiah, not Antichrist. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Everyone is going through an unprecedented time when medical science and politicians are trying to manage the pandemic crisis. It's a time when many are seeking the Word of God to give hope and meaning to their lives, and there's never been a better opportunity for our ministry. So we want to say thank you to the viewers of Jerusalem Channel who have continued to make our programs possible. With your prayers and support, we can finance the cost to send video streaming around the world. Each week our audience grows and we're even exploring ways to subtitle shows into other languages. So it's with your help that we can bring a good word, the gospel truth through Jerusalem Channel. And especially at this time, please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Are you noticing how end time events have taken a great leap forward? Not too long ago, I couldn't imagine how fast the cashless society and all the other conditions necessary for the one world government of Antichrist could progress to the point where we are presently. But enter the pandemic crisis and suddenly cash is considered by many consumers as too dirty to handle. Cashless transactions are preferred at shops because they don't require as much hand washing and hand sanitizing. 
people the world over are showing themselves to be remarkably compliant to wear masks, to social distance, and acquiesce to lockdowns, and are even willing to submit to a mandatory vaccine injection in order to be able to travel, trade, buy, and sell. Who could have imagined only a couple of months ago these scenarios happening this fast? But now they're reality. Meanwhile, in Israel, every week plans are progressing toward the Jewish dream of opening the house of prayer for all nations, the rebuilding of the holy temple of God. Some of the most ardent religious Jews are fervently praying to see this dream of the ages come to pass. What they don't appreciate is that a great rabbi, the apostle Paul, prophesied long ago that the Antichrist will tragically desecrate the rebuilt temple during the future period of testing called the Great Tribulation. He will demand to be worshiped in God's house. Not even Hitler pulled that off. The future time of tribulation will be so turbulent that Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, that since the beginning of the world until this time, there will be nothing to equal it. And Jesus was quoting the prophet Daniel in Daniel 12, 1, which says there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations. Also in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus referenced the prophet Daniel and prophesied an abomination that will make desolate in the temple in the last days. The abomination that makes desolate is King James English, but the New Living Translation renders the verse like this. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. And it says, reader, pay attention. So Jesus foresaw the future defilement of the holy temple at the end of time. And he knew all these things when he read from the scroll in his home synagogue in Nazareth. That important incident is recorded in the New Testament in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus read what the Jews called the Haftorah portion from the prophets. He selected only part of the passage from what we know as Isaiah 61 pertaining to his first coming. And here's what happened. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, doesn't that in fact describe the ministry of Jesus the first time he came? He did preach the good news of repentance and forgiveness of, of sins. He set captives free from demons. He healed blind eyes. But then in the synagogue that day, he suddenly stopped reading and rolled up the scroll and returned it to the attendant and sat down. All eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him and he pronounced, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So why did Jesus close the scroll and leave the verses in that passage unread? because he only read the part concerning his first coming. At that time, he proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, the year of salvation, mercy, and healing. That's lasted nearly 2,000 years. 
He didn't go on to finish the passage, which included, and the day of vengeance of our God. You see that terrible and awesome day, Yom Adonai, the day of the Lord, will come at his second coming when he will judge and cleanse the earth. And then he will comfort and grant all who mourn in Zion beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness, that his people may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that he may be glorified. Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, will fulfill the last part of this verse upon his return as King Messiah at the end of the age, at the end of the great tribulation period, which both the prophet Daniel and the book of Revelation describe as a seven-year period. After the terrible time of testing called the Great Tribulation, Jesus will establish Zion as the praise of the earth. And all of the former Jewish fast days surrounding the destruction of the temple will be transformed into festivals of joy. Well, the Jewish people annually mourned the destruction of their two previous temples during a time each summer called dire straits. But there's a prophecy in Zechariah 8:19 that I have been watching to be fulfilled. It proclaims that the Jewish days of mourning will be changed into joyful days of feasting. First, however, Israel and the world must pass through the final testing period called the Great Tribulation when the hearts of God's ancient people and the nations will be tested, weighed, judged, and sorted before the return of the Lord and before the establishment of the Lord's thousand-year kingdom called the Millennium, ruling from the throne of his ancestor, King David. You see, don't forget, the angel Gabriel informed Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary was descended from King David, that God will give her son the throne of David. And we know we're near to the culmination of history because the Lord is at this time stirring the religious Jews to do everything to get ready for the next stage when their temple will actually be rebuilt. But Israel will be devastated by the deception of the Antichrist. They are soon to realize that Jesus really was and is their Messiah, and they will welcome him back with the summons Baruch Habab Be Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said they will not see him again until they welcome him in that way. In the meantime, look at the speed of everything that's happening. The high priest's garments have been prepared. The hunt for a spotless animal called the red heifer is underway, which will be part and parcel of the sacrificial system to be reinstituted. The holy anointing oil has been restored. And also the baking of the showbread is a big topic in Orthodox Jewish circles. This ancient bread is called in Hebrew lechem ha-panim, literally meaning the bread of the faces. In the Bible, it was also called the bread of the presence because it was kept in the very presence of God miraculously without growing mold or going stale in the open air. There were 12 loaves in all representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were stacked in two piles of six on a golden table. I read that this golden table for the consecrated bread was the first mention in the Bible of a table. Tables are important idioms in the Word of God because they imply fellowship, a meeting place, 
even today in the Middle East, is considered an act of intimacy to share a meal with someone. Well, in Exodus 25, 30, God had commanded, you shall place showbread on the table before me at all times. The English word showbread means the bread was shown or exhibited to God Almighty in his presence. It was also called continual bread because it was set forth perpetually before the Lord. And there was also an ordinance in the book of Leviticus calling for the presence of pure frankincense. So two golden cups of pure frankincense were put on top of the stacks of bread. How beautiful. In Hebrew, the expression is pure frankincense because the word pure signifies that which has been clarified from the falsities of evil. The 12 large hallowed loaves of bread, each weighing about five pounds, represented the entirety of Israel as represented by the 12 tribes. But more importantly, theologians say, the loaves were a picture of God's desire for fellowship. This was the bread of the tabernacle. The tabernacle served as a portable temple until later when the actual temple was built in Jerusalem and then the showbread continued to be placed every week on the golden table of showbread. That table stood along with the golden incense altar and the golden menorah in the temple's holy sanctuary. Every Friday on the eve of the Sabbath, the 12 loaves were baked in special pans, giving the bread a specific form. And some scholars say the loaves were placed by the Kohanim, the temple priest, on golden shelves upon the table of the showbread to be replaced continuously from the children of Israel as an eternal covenant. The 12 loaves retained their freshness and heat just as they were when they first left the oven seven days earlier. The showbread was eaten by the priest at the end of the week after the loaves were replaced. This was the holy bread that was eaten by David during an emergency, as mentioned by Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 4. The consecrated bread was given to David by the high priest at the tabernacle at Nob to feed his hungry men when David was fleeing from King Saul. The episode proves the antiquity of the practice of the showbread. You may wonder why Jesus mentioned this incident in his teaching. Although the hallowed bread was reserved exclusively for the priests, in this instant concerning David and his famished men, the ceremonial ordinance was overridden. In his altercations with religious authorities, Jesus indicated that ceremonial rules may be overruled by higher considerations. You see, Jesus' disciples were accused of being Sabbath breakers because they had plucked ears of corn on the Sabbath to satisfy their hunger. But Jesus defended his disciples' behavior by mentioning the incident of David and the consecrated bread. Jesus taught that we cannot neglect the weightier matters of the law, mercy and truth. The commentaries also teach that the bread of the Lord's presence was a symbolic acknowledgement that God is a resource for Israel's life and nourishment. The bread symbolized the blessing of wealth, abundance, and prosperity. Even the arrangement of the bread on the table in two rows of six was an important aspect of the presentation. In fact, some verses in the Bible, such as Exodus 40:23 and verses in 1 Chronicles and the book of Nehemiah, speak of the bread of the arrangement, putting the bread in order. 
because Moses and the priests were told to exhibit scrupulous fidelity in conforming to the pattern in the mind of God. This teaches us that God has prescribed ways of doing things and teaching us not to lean into our own understanding. Well, when my husband and I go to the grocery store, we often enjoy shopping for various artisan breads. The showbread must be the ultimate in artisan breads because they were for use in the holy temple in Jerusalem. And this type of baking has not been practiced for nearly 2,000 years. During the second temple period, the showbreads were baked by a famous family of Levites, but their recipe secrets were apparently lost. But now, like so many things having to do with temple worship, the bread of the Lord's presence is being researched in sources such as the Talmud and Josephus' Antiquities, and the recipes and baking pans are being resurrected in Israel for future use. In fact, recently in the famous Hurva Synagogue of Jerusalem's Jewish Quarter, the preparation of showbread was demonstrated by future temple priests while dressed in their priestly garments. The workshops by the Temple Institute's Institute for Kohanic Studies transported participants back thousands of years. An Israeli artisan bread baker has researched the biblical showbread, perhaps more than anyone else living today. His name is Les Sadel, and he believes that the 12 loaves fed between 400 or 500 temple priests each week. He believes the bread was miraculously as filling as if the priest had eaten an entire meal. His workshop called Breads of the Temple was launched by the Showbread Institute in Biblical Samaria, and it exists to reacquaint the people of Israel with the temple service in preparation for the rebuilding of the third temple. Apparently, there's an entire tractate in the Jewish Talmud, over 100 pages long, that deals with breads in the temple, and it's full of symbolism and life lessons. According to the historian Josephus, the showbread were prepared without leaven, and the two golden cups of pure frankincense remained as well on the golden table until the next Sabbath, when they were replaced by new loaves, and the old loaves were given to the priests for their own consumption and the pure frankincense was burned in the sacred fire, and a new supply was placed upon the new loaves. The removal of the old bread and the positioning of the new were done simultaneously so that the showbread was always before the Lord. The table was placed in the northern part of the sanctuary opposite the candlestick called the menorah with the altar of incense in between. Interestingly, there's a depiction of the table of showbread on the Arch of Titus in Rome, along with the temple menorah and other sacred items that were looted after the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD by General Titus's army. David Lager in his book, Shadow and Substance, gives a beautiful description of why the showbread is emblematic of our Messiah. The showbread was prepared from fine flour that had been sifted many times. Before the showbread was placed in the sanctuary, it was first the grain of wheat that was sown, grown, cut down, winnowed, crushed, sifted, then kneaded by hand, formed, baked, and presented before the Lord on the golden table. Likewise, the incarnate Lord was the seed of the woman, virgin born. He was perfectly sown and grown, but he was cut down, relentlessly winnowed, brutally bruised and crushed. 
he was submissively sifted, enigmatically enduring the hard kneading of judgment, fulfilling humiliation for our sins in the form of a slave through the fiery judgment on our behalf at the cross. And because of this prophetic picture, the showbread was no doubt unleavened bread. Because you see in the Bible, leaven represents sin because leaven permeates a loaf, causing it to puff up just as sin contaminates and puffs up an individual. Jesus is the unleavened bread of life broken for us. He also fulfilled the Levitical feast of unleavened bread at Passover when he died to make atonement for our sins as the Lamb of God. Like the unleavened matzah bread that is striped and pierced through, the Word of God testifies that by his stripes we were healed. Hallelujah. And we, his disciples, we are also described in the New Testament as wheat. The wheat and the tares, the weeds, grow together, and they're hard to distinguish. But in the end, the tares are gathered and thrown into the fire. As members of the good harvest, we believers are to lay down our lives on behalf of others, and so we must be sifted and winnowed. In the New Testament, Jesus makes a number of I am statements concerning himself, and thus equating himself with the great I am, God Almighty. For example, in John 8:12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the door. Other I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John are, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And in John chapter 6, Jesus made the claim, I am the bread of life. He said, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. He satisfies our spiritual hunger as God's perfect bread sent down from heaven. And with the hymn writer, we can sing, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Our souls need to be fed often, daily. In fact, the central petition of the Lord's Prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, the eternal Word of God, offered His very body to be broken as the bread of life to make atonement for the sake of the entire cosmos. And this is the mystery that we proclaim around the table of Holy Communion. Jesus is a type of Eucharistic showbread. And as often as we eat of this bread and drink from the cup in His presence, we commemorate the Lord's death and we tell about the importance of the Lord's sacrificial death until He comes. The showbread miraculously stayed fresh for a week, but even manna from heaven, when it was kept till the morning of the next day when the Israelites were in the wilderness, contrary to God's command, such bread turned to worms and began to stink. We learn all of this in the book of Exodus. However, inside God's holy Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and temple's holy of holies, three items were kept as a memorial and as a testimony. Do you remember what they were? The tablets of the law, Aaron's rod that had miraculously budded almonds, and a golden pot of manna. How fascinating that the manna in the golden pot never corrupted, although it was kept as a testimony for many generations. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of Messiah Jesus 
Yeshua is his Hebrew name. He is the substance of the manna encased in pure gold. He is incorruptible. He is the eternal bread of life. Amen. Well, in Matthew 5, 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, satisfied. But we must first awaken to our need of him, the Savior. I encourage you, don't refuse the bread of life. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Urgently, I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and feed on him daily, the world's only Savior, while there's time. The Bible exhorts us to live our lives in the presence of the Lord as if he could return at any moment. Anticipating this blessed hope causes us to live a circumspect and holy life. I love the story of a pastor who was passing by the house of a parishioner. He heard the chopping of wood and he saw the parishioner dressed in work clothes. If you were that pastor, how would you motivate the man to come to church? Well, I love what the pastor did. He didn't shout something condemning at him like, shame on you, brother. Don't you know it's the Lord's day? Instead, the pastor wisely shouted, brother, the Lord's coming. Well, about 10 minutes into the service, the wood chopper slipped into the back of the church. The man's sin wasn't chopping wood, but neglecting corporate worship. And the message of the imminent return of the Lord convicted him. I wish I could shout to the world, the Lord is coming. Thank God right now, as I speak, the door of salvation is still open. And there's room and time for you to humble yourself at the foot of the cross. The New Testament teaches that those who are saved believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead and are willing to confess him as Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord except under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you under the power of the Holy Spirit to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus and invite his resurrected son into your life as Lord and Savior, fully surrendering your future to his safekeeping and guidance. And in the meantime, I also want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which continually reports on Bible prophecy and end time events especially as they relate to the church and to the nation of Israel. At our website and also at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube channel, we offer a helpful library of over 500 videos available 24-7. And we invite you to sign up for our free electronic newsletter called Exploits. Daniel 11.32 declares that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we're going to carry out exploits, meaning will accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time that we have before his imminent return. These are tremendously exciting and spiritually weighty days in which we have to stay focused in order to fulfill our destinies. I'd like to help you, so please stay in touch with us on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. And if you have any questions, contact me on the social media, please. And until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dard. Shalom and Maranatha.